Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. We certainly live in interesting times for people who thought things were going to calm down over the weekend. Uh, not so much so. People who showed up and illegally entered the Capitol on Wednesday being arrested all across the country. Um, I think that that is a very, very good thing. Some people um, getting on airplanes and continuing to chant and then being told that they're not going to be allowed to fly. Again, I, I think that's a very good thing as well. Radio stations cracking down on people who promote the idea that the election was stolen. Well, that's a different thing. In addition to that, you've got Parler, which is the social media website. Um, essentially, they've lost the ability to operate on Google and on Apple. And as a result of that, they've at least temporarily closed down. Is there a free speech issue? We're going to be talking about all that, plus a lot more. Let's get started. All right. In the aftermath of what happened on Wednesday, President Trump has pretty much retreated into the bunker. Um, you're, you're not hearing much, if anything, from him. Um, instead, though, even though we only have, what, about nine or ten days until the inauguration, you have members of Congress, led by Nancy Pelosi, who aren't willing to just let Trump kind of run out the clock. And yesterday on 60 Minutes, Nancy Pelosi said that if Mike Pence does not get together with the cabinet, invoke the 25th Amendment to remove Donald Trump from office, she is prepared to proceed with impeachment hearings. Now, let's just take a step back there. The 25th Amendment is not going to be evoked and invoked, and it's not applicable. The 25th Amendment allows, essentially, a president to be temporarily removed um, if the president is incapacitated. It's really designed for um, Ronald Reagan gets shot and he's under surgery. So it, it transfers power to the vice president while he's under surgery. That's kind of the dynamic that's ending up going on. So you've got that that's there. Or a situation where the president has a a, a, a major medical, a stroke, a, a heart attack, something like that. It allows for the vice president to move in and then to take over power. And the idea is when the president gets better, when the president recovers, he then sends a letter and he resumes it to try to resumes power to try to use that as an ability as something to throw out a president is i think probably unprecedented in american history and really it, it can't be be done the idea that you don't like a policy or you think that the president encour encouraged violence or whatever all right there's a way theoretically to remove him and that way would be impeachment it, it's not the 25th amendment and so put that out of your mind the 25th amendment is not going to be used so then that leaves the question of impeachment and nancy pelosi has said that she is going to begin impeachment proceedings uh tomorrow essentially and they think that the house might have a vote on on a single article of impeachment by wednesday after which the matter would go to a Senate, the Senate for a trial. Now, again, the reality is, given the fact that the new president is inaugurated on January 20th, and already we're sitting here and it's what January, what's today, the, the 11th, 
There's not enough time for a full-blown trial in the Senate. There will not be a conviction of President Trump, even if he is impeached. There won't be a conviction before his term expires, which brings us to the question of, given that reality, that the time frame that's going on here, does it make any sense to go ahead with an impeachment? Does that make the divisions in this country even worse. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. For me, I think to go ahead with an impeachment at this point in time is is actually futile. I think it is probably counterproductive. I think what should happen is that both houses of Congress should look at the idea of whether or not the president should be censured, which is what I think should have happened the last time they went down this impeachment route. But regardless of whether or not you think that President Trump and his remarks to the mob last week committed an impeachable offense, the bottom line is he's going to be leaving office. And given the fact that we're only, what, nine days away, to go through this process over the course of the next nine days, I think is a waste of time. I think it is a waste of spirit and I think from the perspective of Joe Biden wanting to bring the country back together, another round of divisive analysis, I don't think gets us closer to that point, which isn't to condone anything that President Trump did last week. It's just the practical issue of what do you do with this little time left in the term? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Is it good for the country to go ahead with the impeachment of President Trump at this point in time? 855-616-1620. We discuss. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Now, a number of texters are making the point that if you proceeded with impeachment, and you can, by the way, impeach somebody even after they're out of office, that the most likely scenario, I guess, if we go down the impeachment route, and we can discuss whether it's good for the country or not, is e- even after he's out of office. For example, the House could return an article of impeachment, and then it could go over to the Senate. They could schedule a trial somewhere sometime after January 20th, and they could go ahead with the impeachment. And as part of the impeachment process, what they could do is, by a majority vote, they could say you're not eligible to run for federal office again, and they could take away the federal pension. That is that is a possibility if you think that that's in the interest of the country. That has been done on a couple occasions um, involving mostly federal judges who get appointed for life. Typically, they get convicted of a crime, and then so they, they resign or they remove themselves from office, but then they're, they're impeached regardless, which pre- would prevent them from, again, having the federal pension. So th- that, I guess, is an option. But if you think it's going to happen in the next week, I, I think you're, you're just you don't understand the realities. 855-616-1620. But my question is, is that good for the country, as opposed to, say, a, a resolution of censure, which would express... Um, Congress's disapproval of what the president did. Sue in Cedarburg. Sue, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi. I was listening, and I'm just thinking, first of all, there's only, what, nine days left before he's out of office. Right. And I think we should use those nine days to bring us together. This is just going to divide us even more. People are going to be angry right up until 
Biden is elected, we need to work on bringing us together, not dividing us anymore. And I don't know the cost of this. It's got to be some cost here. And I don't want to spend money on this kind of thing. There's so many things we could be spending money on to help people in this country. This is ridiculous to spend the time on this. Thanks, Nicole. Well, I mean, here's the thing. Look, I understand the flip side of the argument. The flip side of the argument is if you believe that the president committed an impeachable offense when he... failed to accept the results of the election, and then encouraged, if you believe, he, he egged on the, the rioters, and then you encouraged that. I understand that there's some degree of accountability. That That's why my censure resolution accomplishes that. And my, I, my guess is that you would have widespread bipartisan support for a censure, just like I think if you um, if they had tried the censure resolution route instead of the impeachment thing with the Ukrainian thing. I think you would have had widespread bipartisan support for it. If you bring up the impeachment thing, that's that's very, very difficult because then, then the question becomes, you know, was this a crime? Was it a misdemeanor? And we're spinning our wheels on this. Now, I think I would hope most of us would agree that the president's behavior since the, the election, the refusal to accept the fact that he lost and the encouraging the, the, the people to come to Washington, D.C. and whipping up the crowd, whether that rises to the level of a crime or not, I guess is something the prosecutors are going to have to decide somewhere down the line. But at this point in time, given the fact that we're, I think, moving on. Then the question becomes, what do you accomplish by the impeachment? And as far as people who say, well, if you impeach him and you can order him not to run again, I, I mean, I, I'm here to tell you, and I guess we'll maybe we'll talk about it later on in this hour or in the show. I, I just don't see Donald Trump as a viable political force moving forward. And I understand that Donald Trump Jr. last Wednesday was saying it's not the Republican Party, it's the Donald Trump Republican Party. I didn't believe that was true before Wednesday's developments, and I sure as heck don't believe it's true now. The Trump brand politically, in my opinion, is just permanently damaged. Bob in Menominee Falls. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. I feel like we, the American people, have just been harassed at this point over the entire course of 2020 dragging different people's names through the dirt. And I agree with Sue, people need to be brought together and what's going on once again, sets precedent. Are we going to do this to every single figure that, you know, certain members of the government feel this type of hatred towards? I think we're beginning to see the power of the media in the country and how organized different regions are. Uh, What I wanted to ask you, Steve, was what does it look like to internal government employees when different government figures stand out in such an immoral way? Well, I'm not sure I I completely understand your your question. I I think that um, nothing about the, the course of the last week I think speaks much for people either inside or outside the government, if, if that's what you're getting to. Look, and, and the bottom line is, over the last four years with Donald Trump, and, and I, I've i never been, if you remember all the programs I've had over the last four years, I, I've never been one of these guys that, that drank the Kool-Aid. I've applauded the president when I think he was right on policy matters, and I have been very critical of him on a lot of stuff, in, including 
all the the personal failings and the inability to stay off of Twitter and the failure to recognize that language, especially when it comes from the president, really does make a, a huge difference. That being said, I think... That was raised to a new level over the course of the last couple months by the, the absolute refusal to face reality and recognize that you, you in fact lost th- this election. And I think that that's, that really to me put us into a, a new and more troubling area simply because up and before that it was always, okay, you, you, you had Donald Trump and you always knew what Donald Trump was. After the election, the refusal to accept it, the continuing of of perpetrating the lines of the election was stolen, the election was stolen, despite the fact that there, there's not really any overwhelming ev- any evidence at all to support that, that's kind of, to me, that's the level where, you know, you could have, if you were concerned about your legacy, you could have gone out on a higher note by simply recognizing, hey, 70 million people voted for you. It was a close election. I continue to believe that President Trump would have been reelected were it not for the pandemic and what I thought was an inadequate response to the pandemic, his failure to show empathy. But instead of being concerned about the legacy, we spent the last two months trying to undermine the peaceful change and transition of power. And I think that's where it's really unacceptable. But now the question is, how much more time do we spend on this? Or is that time spent better concentrating on trying to figure out ways to bring the country back together? 855-616-1620. Larry in Milwaukee. Hi, Larry. Hello, Steve. I am glad I was able to get on. Why is it that white people have such a hard time? And, you know, they jump up and down talking about enforce the law, enforce the law. And here's a case of clearly we just need to enforce the law, right? It's not a waste of time. I think it's cowardice for you to suggest censor when the president has obviously broken the law. The other what, what, thing law what law do you think? What, wait, wait, what law do you think he broke? To incite rioting. Okay, so you think he's, you think he's, you, wait a second, so you think he's committed a crime? Yes. Okay. All right. All right. Well, for, all right. For, all right. All right. You think he's committed a crime? Should he be charged? Should he be charged with a crime then? Should he be charged? It's not should he be. It's not should he be. I'm saying he should be. Okay. Then all right. Okay. Then fine. Make that argument. What What does that then have to do with impeachment? What is it? What does that have to do with impeachment? How about we just did a Supreme Court justice in like seven days? And so when you, and that's profound, okay? I'm just giving you some simple examples. So the conversation I'm trying to have with you right now, why do you keep saying it's a waste of time? It's not a waste of time. Because he's the leaving. Law needs to be enforced. Well, but it takes time. All right, it takes time to enforce the law. No, I, I am. Look, I, I'm sorry. I understand we've got the Trump haters out there, and I've got the pe- understand that people want the pound of flesh and all that. I'm just trying to get you to live in the real world. If you think he committed a crime. That is that, you know, we you've actually his language in, incited a riot. All right, that's fine. Then what the matter should do, it should be reviewed by authorities and prosecutors should decide if they want to charge him with a crime. Now, I'm here to tell you, I think that that's going to be if you look at the actual effect of what he said. And I'm not condoning it. I think the guy was wrong all along. Trying to fit that into a violation of federal law is not going to be as easy as you think. But okay, if you want to charge him with a crime, that's fine. 
that that that's fine. Kick it over. Joe Biden can kick it over to Merrick Garland once he becomes the attorney general. You can charge him or you can investigate whether or not you've been a, a crime has been committed. You've got what three or five years for the statute of limitations. Okay, that that's fine. Have a review of it. Some legal scholars think. From a criminal perspective, and there's a couple pieces in the Wall Street Journal today about how this wasn't a criminal act. Nobody's justifying what he said, but from the elements of a crime, it, did, it doesn't meet that. I, I don't know. I don't take a position on that one way or the other. But if you want to investigate him and look towards deciding, do you charge him with a felony? Okay, have that conversation. I'm not saying not necessarily to do it. I don't know enough about the particulars of the law to suggest whether you can make that happen. As far as the impeachment, you're not going to get a trial conducted in nine days. That is just the reality. And we didn't get a Supreme Court justice in just seven days. But but. You're not going to have this done. The Senate isn't in session. So the question becomes, is it worth going down that route? Or by doing something like censure, which you could get done, do you send the practical message that you don't like what's happened? We continue the conversation in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Mike. Hi. Um, yeah, I think he absolutely should be impeached under the former President Act. He gets a two hundred thousand dollar a year pension, a million dollar a year travel allowance, and lifetime Secret Service detail. If he's removed from office, he doesn't get any of that. And at this point, I would say he is not entitled to it. What if he were to resign? Now, I don't think that's going to happen. But what what if he were to hold a news conference and announce Wednesday that he was resigning a week ahead of time? Would he be entitled to those perks if he resigns? Well, unless he went ahead and impeached him, which, which raises an interesting question about whether you can impeach somebody after they've resigned. I think the answer is probably yes. But even if he... If, so your point is that you want him you want him punished you want him stripped of Correct. some of he the needs, things he needs real consequences right so a censure a, a resignation just getting him out of office isn't enough you you want more and that's why you would push on the impeachment that's correct we need to send a message that what he did is unacceptable to future presidents Okay, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. We're going to uh, we're going to pick it up right there. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If we go ahead with him and look, I I I understand that the the, the timeline here some people don't care about that, but the reality is you're not going to get a trial in the Senate. That isn't even in session right now. You're not going to be able to have a trial before the 20th. So that's the reality. So then the issue becomes after Joe Biden is president. And I think legally you could impeach, continue with an impeachment proceeding um, even after somebody is out of office. I, again, my, the parallel is a federal judge. Is it worth doing that? And if so, how do you balance the divisiveness that that act is going to have versus what the consequences are if he's already out of office? Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 
ton of texts, as you might expect. Jeff, much of much much of the possible criminal charging now seems more about sending a message to being charged for a crime that someone actually committed. Yes, was the president? Uh, yes, was the president may have been acting irresponsibly, but did he break the law? Um, well, that that, and I'm just I'm here to tell you from the perspective of. Did you violate the law with regard to inciting a riot? You have to look at the exact language, and lots of people who have lots of experience with these type of charges pretty much unanimously conclude that from the perspective of bringing a criminal charge, it would be very, very difficult um, to – because the president never came out and said, okay, go go burn down the Capitol building. Now, I understand that – and I'm not condoning his remarks in any way, shape, or form – but in order to prove something beyond a reasonable doubt, it's got to be pretty darn definitive, and there's Supreme Court cases on it. I think a criminal prosecution would be difficult. I think that is unlikely after he leaves office. So then the question becomes, what do you do with impeachment? A number of people are pointing out to me – well, okay, what, what are the real consequences for impeachment? He loses his ability to run for office again. Y- yeah, but as a practical matter, his his political career is over. Yes, he loses his pension, but he hasn't been taking a salary since he's been there. It's not like that is of huge value. Yes, he loses the Secret Service protection, I believe, and so maybe that becomes a bit of an issue. But the question is, the, the censure something that you could do immediately, does that really accomplish the same thing as impeachment would, especially if you agree with my premise? And and again, I live in the real world here, that the impeachment process is going to take several weeks. And that's the first 30 days of the Biden administration. I'm not even sure Joe Biden wants that. Matter of fact, Biden has been very quiet about all this. 855-616-1620, Lynn in Milwaukee. Lynn, good afternoon. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Sure. I'm on a human nature, on a human level, and I don't pretend to know politics the way a lot of your listeners do or you do. So I'm not at all trying to be extremely political. What I'm wondering is, at the end of the day, who is held responsible for the five people that lost their lives? Okay, well, well, three of them had medical emergencies, but let, let's talk about the Capitol Police officer who was killed with the. Uh, the fire extinguisher and the pro-Trump lady who was shot by the by the uh, Capitol Police officer. So your question is, who who gets held accountable for that? I guess, yeah, I'm not. Huh. I mean, I, I have my own feelings about everything, so I don't want to, like, you know, open that can of worms. Everyone's been doing that. Mm-hmm. I want to focus on the five people who lost their lives. Well, if that was a loved one of mine, I would want some sort of accountability, but I don't know how that looks. Yeah, well, I mean, I think, well, I think there ultimately will, I mean, thanks to, I mean, I think there will be accountability, Lynn. I'm, at, at least I certainly hope so. Certainly the people that were directly responsible for the assault on the Capitol police officer, they, you know, I, I assume that once they identify those people, there, there will be criminal charges that will be brought and the people that were responsible for that attack will be hopefully ha- held accountable. So you get justice there. The lady, the, the protester who was shot by the Capitol, the rioter, whatever you want to call her, who, who was shot by the Capitol police officer. I, I mean, I assume that there's going to be an investigation. I, I doubt that he's going to be held. I, I don't 
know that I believe that he committed a crime, but he's on leave. That That's going to be an investigation. People that broke into the Capitol and engaged in the, the rioting, the destruction of property, all those appalling things that we saw, they're being arrested all over the country. And I think that's great. And they're going to end up being held accountable. Yes, if, if your question is beyond the people who were directly involved in this, you know, do you need to find some way to hold Donald Trump Jr. or Donald Trump accountable for that because they encouraged the demonstration, if not the actual break in and do the destruction. It, that's the question becomes, how do you hold them accountable? Is it through impeachment? Is it through censure? Can you can you form criminal charges? And I, I'm telling you, I think that I think criminal charges are going to be tough. I understand some people are going to want that. I think it's cool. And I think my prediction is. You know what prosecutors are going to take a look at at this and look at his exact words and they're going to find it, it comes up short of the ability to actually issue charges um, but I, I I could be wrong that's something that the Biden Justice Department's going to have to decide 855-616-1620 Don in Milwaukee Don you're on WTMJ good afternoon hello Jeff hi Don what do you think uh, in my my personal opinion is that if uh, Vice President Pence does not vote the 25th amendment which he probably won't he won't no. i think you have to right i think you have to proceed with uh, uh impeachment you said many times words have consequences mm-hmm. and i know what you said about what he said but anyone that listened to him know exactly what he was telling people to do about we have to fight for our government and blah 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 they knew what they were doing he knew what he was doing when he sent them down there and Basically, it was an attack on the legislative branch by mm-hmm. a sitting president. And if you do nothing, nothing, it's just going to let them get away with it again. And as far as those people that are so being what arrested... Is, what is, what is impeach... And, I, and this is a very ser- it's a serious question. Okay, so let's say that my premise is right, that you're, you're not going to be able to get through an impeachment in nine days. And I, I think that... that let, let's assume well, that for the sake of argument. So yeah, he's I out... Agree with you on that. Okay, so he's out of office... What does, what is an impeachment, he's gone, so what what do we do? It makes him responsible for what happened. Mm -hmm. It it shows that, yes, this is, we find him guilty of starting riots. And you mentioned before about all those people that have been arrested. What's to stop Donald Trump tomorrow pardoning every single one of them? Nothing right now. (laughs) To to answer your question, nothing. Yeah, that's what, that's what I'm saying. You know, you know, if if now if he resigns, okay, let's let it go at that because that shows that he realized as of right now he still hasn't taken responsibility for what he did and what he said. And everyone knows that's why they were down there doing that stuff. So I mean, I, so nothing. Oh, okay, so unlike nothing, our, we had another caller and we were talking about this. In in your mind. If Trump were, say, Wednesday to resign, now I don't think that's going to happen either. But but if no, he, yeah, but but if he were to resign, would that, in your mind, be enough of a consequence? He's resigned in it, disgrace that you don't need to it, go it, on. Right, there, you just had the word there. Dis- resigns in disgrace. At least that's something, and maybe we can move on beyond that. Uh, you, you and I both know he's not going to do that. Yeah, so, do uh, so arrogant that he would never do that. But you got to have some kind of consequences for what he did. Okay, thanks for the call. I, I appreciate it. And again, I, I, I'm not disagreeing with, with what a lot of the sentiment is. That's one of the reasons I float the idea of censure because you could do it 
while he is still in office, my guess is you'd have broad bipartisan support. I'm just see, I'm trying to look forward and I'm, I'm wondering, OK, if you look at, for example, presidential administrations, one of the things they make a big deal of is the first hundred days. I'm trying to actually think if I'm Joe Biden, your first hundred days is where you have the opportunity to to really try to make your legislative imprint, things like that. And under the scenario that the, the impeachment scenario that, that's out there. At least, I think the first month of that hundred days, maybe more, is played out by, again, a regurgitation of, of the Trump years that I think a lot of people, Republican and Democrats, are, are willing and able and want to move on from here. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Harvey in Cudahy. Harvey, you're on WTMJ. Hello, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? I think that censure is the practical and prudent approach for this mess that we're in. To try to impeach Donald Trump within nine days is an exercise in futility. The president's team has to have an opportunity to prepare a defense. So somebody would say, okay, let him prepare over the weekend. We'll have the Senate trial on Monday. Oh, really? Monday is Dr. King Day. Do we want to step all over all that, all the positivity? all the celebrations, all the commemorations of Dr. King, something uplifting, have it overshadowed by impeachment. So as a matter of practicality, it just is not going to happen between now and January 20th. Right, and I'm trying to think, but the impeachment trial that they had last year, it was a a several-day event after having time to prepare for it. Look, I I might have, i got to tell you, Harvey, I, I might have a different position on this impeachment issue if if we were talking about a, and it's it, a similar set of circumstances that with, when you still had six months left in the term or a year left in the term. Now, I, I understand that's tough because this was all precipitated by the after election stuff. But but if, if it was something similar and you had six months to go, maybe that's a different conversation. You have nine days to go. And I think that's what some people are, are losing sight of in this matter. Venture would unite Republicans and Democrats in a statement that what President Trump did was inappropriate. Now, whether it rises to the level of crime is for others to determine, as you've been pointing out. Right. But censure could unite enough people behind the statement that there would be consequences that your other callers are calling for. Yeah. No, Impeachment they... will not work within nine days. I'm sorry. No, right. That, right. That is, the, that is the practical issue. And and candidly, the other thing that, that's out there is I, I don't want to see I don't want to see Trump become a martyr. And and that you you know that there are some people who view this already as the situation. Some people who still, you know, that refuse to accept the fact that the election results were the election results. And and you know that that that's out there. I guess I think for the good of the country, certainly for the good of the Republican Party, for the good of Joe Biden. Um, I, I think the the sooner. We move on. Now, I appreciate that this whole idea that there needs to be a degree of accountability and, and there will be accountability. I mean, the, the people that were responsible for the break ins and the violence, they are all going to be held accountable. There, there, there's no question about that. President Trump, whether he resigns or whether he's impeached or whether my recommendation that the censure, um, he, he's finished, I think, as, as a political force. Now, we'll, we'll actually talk about that in the next hour about whether or not that's valid or not. But I, I think it, for in, in the real world, 
he, he's done, which is, I think, probably good for a lot of people. Let's take a break. Back with more in just a minute. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Uh, we, we have literally hundreds of texts about, about this. Uh, here, And we're, we're going to talk about a different aspect of this coming up after the top of the hour, namely my assertion that some of you don't agree with, that, that President Trump is finished, regardless of whether there's censure, whether, regardless of whether there's impeachment, that I, my, my belief is he is finished as a viable political force, which isn't to say that he's going to go quietly into the good night. Some people are challenging that. Okay, here's a couple of texts. Jeff, I absolutely cannot stand Trump, but I'm with you on this. Um, it's like that horrible neighbor. You're just glad that he's leaving the neighborhood. Um, Jeff, I think he should be responsible for the damage that the rioters did to the Capitol. How about him give the people who died or officers injured a settlement of some sort of money? Jeff, if Trump were to be impeached, does that mean he wouldn't be able to run for reelection in four years? And, and that is right for, for people who haven't been following this. That is one of the side things that they could do in a second vote regarding impeachment. And, and the president, it's never happened with the president, I don't believe. But the precedent is federal judges who are appointed for life um, who are then impeached many times because they've committed a, a crime, have been convicted of the crime um, as 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 part of the impeachment process, there's a second vote that the Senate takes, which says they can't hold office again and strips them of things like their pension and things of the like. So you, you could you could do that um, down the road. Um, I guess the question becomes talking about holding President Trump accountable. Some people are saying it's it's his pension. I mean, it's not like he's been drawing his salary. He's been donating his salary, I think, uh, all along. Uh, Jeff, you're and all right. And here's th- this text is indicative of a, of a percentage of the texts I'm getting. And it reinforces sort of the point that I've been trying to make about how we got to figure out ways. I appreciate holding people accountable, but you also have to figure out ways to bring the country together. Jeff, your callers are delusional. Trump didn't do anything wrong. Um, also, I, I think they should impeach him just so the first hundred days of Biden are tied up with a Senate trial of Trump, which means that Joe Biden isn't going to get anything done. Okay, so that that that's the other reality that's out there, you know, again, in the real world. Um, Jeff, you keep mentioning censor. Um, has the Republicans in the Senate said or agreed to the censure action? Um, let Ron Johnson say that he will censure the president. I they have not taken since there's not a censure resolution yet, but I, I'm willing to bet that if they put a censure resolution in both the House and the Senate, you would have you would have 70 to 75 percent of both houses of Congress that would sign off on the censure. At least that's my sense. Could be wrong. Jeff, I think Trump is going to pardon himself before impeachment proceedings occur. OK, well, um, again, you, you can't pardon yourself from the the impeachment you can pardon yourself and your family members for crimes and i i i will say i i will say this if if president trump were to start issuing blanket pardons for the people that were engaged in the criminal activity at the capitol 
I, I do think that's that's a different kind of conversation. And, you know, I if that happens, well, be, be sure to tune in because that, that's a different sort of story. Um, I, I think personally, and I, I said this last week, I think the best thing for the country would be for President Trump to resign. And I understand some people are listening to me say, I'm never going to listen to you again. Trump didn't do anything wrong. Well, regardless of whether or not you believe he committed a crime, and like I say, I think that's going to be a tough prosecution, regardless of whether or not you think he should be impeached, I, I think he's lost the moral authority to govern. And I think it would be in the best interests of, of everybody, the country, the Republican Party, and and probably President Trump himself for him to go quietly into the good night. That's not going to happen. I understand it as a practical matter. He's not. And I am a little bit concerned that in the last nine days, he, he's going to start, you know, again, maybe considering things like blanket pardons, which would be absolutely appalling. I've been appalled at the number of people that he's pardoned al- already. And if he were to do something like that, I think that would certainly invite criminal prosecution um but that's tough as well bottom line is it's a mess all right i want to move on because there's another aspect of this that we've been kind of tiptoeing around my premise is donald trump as a political force is over censor or not impeachment or not um resignation or not he's done now a number of people are saying no they don't think that that's the case we're going to discuss that in just a moment Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Seems we start every hour with the concept of we live in interesting times. Group producing the show today and always. Do you know what Parlor is? Yeah. Parlor is, it's like Facebook or Twitter, except it's, it's, it's really a conservative outlet, right? From my gathering, uh, it sounds like it was what Twitter used to be when Twitter very first started. Right. Like the bare bones of someone with just a picture and only you being able to tweet, not being able to, to tag other people. It's, uh, I don't know, I, I follow Jeremy Janine from Urban Milwaukee, and he's going over... Right, but it's, 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 it's essentially, it's a, a social media platform like Facebook and like Twitter, where up until at least the other day, you could download an app from like the apps, Apple App Store, for example, and then you could log on to it, and you, you could post things. So that, that's sort of how it, it operates. Um, Parlor essentially, at least at the moment, it's it, it's really effectively no more because what happened is Apple and um, uh, Microsoft they they del- they took the app off the App Store, so you you weren't able to download the apps. Now, if you still had the apps, you you could log on. But what happened yesterday is Amazon that runs the a- Amazon runs the platform the the service, for example. The, the best way of thinking of it is you, you've got a TV show. You, you produce the Jeff and Gru show, all right? 
then you need a way to get the Jeff and Gru show out to the public. So you're, you're on NBC. NBC would be the platform. You put the Jeff and Gru show on NBC and people could watch it on NBC. You want to listen to the Jeff Wagner show, you tune into WTMJ. WTMJ is the sharing platform and then the show is the show. Well, what happened yesterday is Amazon, which provided the platform that allowed, that took Parlor out to the internet community. Amazon pulled the plug on it, said, okay, we're not going to allow you to participate on our platform anymore. So you, you can do, you can have Parlor, but people can't get it. I can sit and do my show, but if there's no way to get it out to the public, people can't hear it. And so that's kind of where Parlor stands right now. And, and they did it because they felt that Parlor was promoting violence and insurrection and things of the like. That's one of the battles that's going there. And, of course, as as we all know, President Trump has been permanently banned from Twitter and from Facebook. And Twitter is a big deal because he's got, what, 88 million followers or whatever, and that's how he used to be able to communicate. So that's been taken away from him. Now, it's entirely possible that he might find some other way to communicate, you know, some other platform, but right now he does not have that. The the fallout has also been very interesting in some of the conventional media sort of things. For example, Cumulus, and there's there's two or three big radio companies in in the country. There there's that, that own hundreds and hundreds of stations. There's there's iHeart and there's Entercom and there's Cumulus. Now I happen to work for Good Karma Broadcasting, which is and I'm so fortunate to work for Good Karma Broadcasting. It, it just is because it's a it's a small company. We own radio stations in Milwaukee. We own radio stations in Beaver Dam and Madison and elsewhere around the country. But we're we're a small, independent, closely held you know company with an owner and investors and things like that. We're not this large publicly traded company, which has just been a godsend, especially over the last couple years. Well, anyhow, Cumulus Media, which together with Intercom and together with iHeart Media, is one of the the, the big monoliths like the Walmarts and the the targets of the radio industry they um they took a step that is I think almost unprecedented um they essentially reached out late last week and issued a directive to their talk show hosts that that work for them that essentially they're supposed to knock off talking about whether or not there there, there was election fraud um, the, the memo that they have says we will not tolerate any suggestion that the election has not ended. The election has been resolved and there are no alternate acceptable paths. If you transgress this policy, you can expect to separate from the company immediately. So in other words, and, and a number of the broadcasters that work for Cumulus are some very, very prominent conservative voices who have been arguing for the last couple months, contrary to what I've been saying, that the election was really stolen and and going down some of these rabbit holes. Well, now Cumulus is saying, if you keep this up, you're you're going to lose your jobs. We're going to fire you, which is now a very, very interesting thing because I'm going to be curious as to how some of these prominent conservative talk show hosts who have either been on the one hand, that they've either been perpetrating this election fraud stuff because they legitimately believe it, 
And now if they legitimately believe it, they're being told by their employer, you can't say things you legitimately believe. Or alternatively, since I find it difficult to believe that people really believe that there was this widespread fraud, what that means is that um, it was kind of a shtick that they were doing to try to, you know, uh, appeal to a certain segment of the audience. But one way or the other, it's going to be fascinating to see what these hosts do now being told that, you know, you, you can't. You're not allowed to talk about this particular narrative anymore. It's been interesting how this is all switched around. There was a radio host in Wisconsin a couple of years ago who lost his gig because he was on a on a conservative the audience, you know, conservative talk radio audience, and he was not enthusiastic about the president and was re- regularly critical. And they whistled him in and said, you know, if, if you're going to continue to be critical of the president, you don't have a place here. And the guy ended up losing losing his job, whether it was through resignation or whatever. So it's interesting how this has all changed. Two, three years ago, if you were at a conservative talk station and you weren't towing the line and you weren't just all Trump all the time, you were under threat of losing your job. Now <laughs> they're, they're saying, okay, we, we've gone too far. Now for us here... I've said this often. In 22 years here, nobody has ever told me what you have to say, what you're allowed to say, what you're not allowed to say, and that's that's sort of a freeing thing. Now, at the same time, you try to be responsible with that, understanding that you're going to alienate, that there's going to be people that disagree with you on both sides. But that's kind of the freeing thing that's out there, being able to speak your mind. Cumulus saying to a number of its talk show hosts, um, knock off the election fraud stuff it's time to move on when we come back all right president trump is off twitter president trump is off facebook president trump is going to be leaving office either through resignation impeachment the 25th amendment or or just the uh, 10 days turning on the calendar the big question is as he leaves office does he remain a political force my answer is no you may disagree we'll discuss Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I have a text here I, I want to share, and I, I it's one of those that I, I, I agree with the sentiment of the texter. Uh, there's a number of people in our first first hour of the program when we talked about impeachment. A lot of folks were saying, okay, the, the reason you need to have impeachment is you need to guarantee that he's not going to run again, that, that President Trump will not run for office in 2024 or 2028 or, or whatever. You, you need, as a condition of impeachment, the order barring him from running again, to which my response was, as a practical matter, that's not going to happen. Now, some people text me, said, well, you didn't think he was going to elect it in 2016. And I didn't think he was going to get elected in 2016. But I, I'm even more positive that he would not be reelected one way or the other in 2024. But here's the text. Jeff, I think... Trump's political career is over as of last Wednesday. If he accepted the results in November, after the official recounts were done, and then conceded, he could have moved on to boost his accomplishments over the last four years and prepare for the future, maybe even another run in 2024. He would have maintained most of his 70 million voters. Instead, he continually said the election was rigged, said he won in a landslide, engaged in threatening phone calls to find votes, was responsible for the GOP 
GOP losing the Senate, the two Georgia runoffs, and um, riled up protesters, we love you, go home, who went on to storm and destroy the Capitol. Of those 70 million that voted for him, I think it's safe to say that one third to one half of them would not vote for him again. That's the worst two month PR campaign in history. I agree with everything that Texter says. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If after, even after, you know, all the turmoil of, of the last four years, I think President Trump had an opportunity to, to go out on a high note. Now, I understand that people that hated Trump were never going to love Trump, but, 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 but he could have accepted the reality of the results, conceded gracefully, and then began, you know, preparing for whatever his political future would be. He didn't do that. And and again, we had the two months of increasingly down the rabbit hole allegations of this election was stolen and this was fraud and we won in a landslide and this stuff that's just, I'm sorry, it's crazy talk. It, it just flat out is. And then you had the, the phone calls in Georgia where you're trying to, I don't know, a, a fair interpretation is you're trying not to count all the legitimate votes, but what you're trying to do is um, find votes, not all the legal votes trying to count, but find more votes than the other person has. I think that's a fair interpretation. And then culminating in what happened um, Wednesday, it's one straw after another. And I don't know which straw we would say broke the camel's back. But I think as a practical matter, as a viable political force, D- Donald Trump is over. And will he hold some will if he holds rallies will will some people attend yes i understand some people will attend but as far as a viable force moving forward i don't see it whether or not he's barred from running for office or not as a matter of fact if you impeach him one and and remove him from office as i said earlier i think that that maybe makes him a a martyr from the perspective of democrats maybe one of the best things you'd want is to have trump hanging around as a potential candidate in 2024 preventing other candidates from getting traction in any event i i think i think the wounds that donald trump has done to his political brand are fatal 855-616-1620 that's the acunate mortgage talk and text line Agree or disagree? We discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I'm 100% in agreement with the texture that said he estimated a third to a half of the people that voted for Trump would not vote for him again. In fact, would not even consider him as a presidential candidate. I've heard some other radio hosts continually say that 74 million people voted for Trump this time around. I believe that it even, even more than 50% of those people who voted for him would not vote for him again. Um, I think there's an element to that. Um, let's see. Uh, uh, Jeff, I agree. I think he's done. Jeff, um, he has so alienated his followers um, that you are correct. They won't follow him any further. That also means that any candidate trying to carry the torch will fail. While I agree he should be removed immediately, waiting until after the inauguration would ensure that he'd have to pay his own legal expenses. Jeff, he is hugely powerful in these last 10 days, but I'm confident that he's gone too far and no longer will be a power broker. I think it's likely that this goes for his children as well. Goodbye, Dynasty. He threw it all 
away, um, but left a force behind that will continue without him. Um, see, I think that's one of the questions. It, and and I, I think the, the issue is going to be, can some of the, the populist sort of issues that, that Donald Trump raised over the course of the last five years, will that continue to bind supporters? And, and the answer is yes. I think some of those issues aren't going to go away. But Trump, as far as the leader of it, I don't know. Let's talk to Gary in Portage. Gary, you're in WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? Nice topic. (laughs) I love the show. Thank you, sir. We're about the same age, so I can understand what's going on here. Um, My thoughts are this. I'm going to agree with you that his his power is going to be gone, but I think he's going to glean enough of the 73 to 74 million voters to support him, just, you know, that fringe, just like Ross Perot divided the Democrat or Republican Party back mm-hmm. during the Clinton administrations, you know, and, and that's what, the only reason that Bill Clinton was elected twice was because Ross Perot stayed in it and divided the party. Well, certainly the first time, but I mean, let's talk history. Perot was, was big that first time, and yes, I agree with you, siphoned votes away from George Bush, but, but Perot was a flash in the pan. I mean, by, by, you know, he, he was, he was big in that election, the 92 election, but after that, I mean, Ross Perot as a political force really kind of decreased. And I guess I, I think Donald Trump might be, might be, might go that same route. Well, I hope you're right. Okay, Okay, well, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Let's see. um, Jeff, I voted for Trump twice, but based on his recent behavior, there's no way I would vote for him a third time. Um, I think that there's a lot of sentiment about, you know, that. Um, Let's see, Jeff, do you blame the Democrats for Act 10 riots, Kenosha riots, looting, burning, shooting? They are as much responsible for that as for Trump is for peaceful rioting, as the Democrats call it. I'm not sure the point of that, but I... But but yeah, people do hope the the reason, in my opinion, the Democrats performed as poorly as they did in the November elections, where everybody was predicting this this huge blue wave, was because a lot of moderate Democrats got caught up with the defund the police movement, some of the crazier aspects of of the left, and it cost them. And just like Republicans in Georgia lost those two Senate seats because instead of focusing on the issues, it all got sidetracked by Donald Trump and these crazy grievance theories and things like that. That cost the Republicans those two Senate seats. And and so, yeah, there is a degree of accountability. It's one of the reasons why I think people are ready to move on. All right. When we come back, even if we're ready to move on, is what's happening in the social media world fair to the president? And what does it mean for everybody moving forward? I will explain. We will discuss. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, before we move into what makes otherwise normal people go nuts, I, 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 have, I want to share a text that I could not disagree with more. And, and mark the tape on this one. Here's the text. Jeff, the Republican Party is done. It's sad. I'm a lifetime Republican, but after this, it's over. This will be a socialist country. The Republican Party is history. No, 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 no. And, and this is this is the mistake that people make by having short-term views. Now, for example, I am a political junkie. I came of age 
during the Vietnam War protests. I was in high school during the Watergate stuff. I mean, as I was saying earlier, I mean, I, I remember where I was August 8th, 1974, watching Richard Nixon give his resignation speech. Okay, after 1968, after the country was in turmoil over Vietnam and LBJ said he wasn't going to run again and Nixon gets elected, I remember all, it was like this was the Democratic National Convention. The Democrats were split between the blue-collar Democrats and the, the left wing, and everybody was saying, it's the end of the Democratic Party. Well, no, it, it wasn't. And then... 1973, 1974, after Richard Nixon resigns, people are saying, that's it. The Republican Party is over as a political force. It's all done. And and two years later, Jimmy Carter gets elected. And I I think a lot of people believe, I'm one of them, that if if Gerald Ford hadn't have pardoned Richard Nixon, he, he might have been elected president. But regardless, okay, the Republican Party is over. It's Watergate. It's 1974. And and admittedly, the um. The, the midterm elections were, were really bad. But but in 1980, you get Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan comes into office, and then he wins re-election in a landslide in 1984. And the sentiment was, that's it for Democrats. Democrats are done with. We're going to have generations of Republican leave. Well, no, no. 1992, Bill Clinton gets elected. 1994, you have the Republican Revolution, and Newt Gingrich and the guys come in, and they take over the House of Representatives. Oh, is that it for Clinton? No. My, my point of all this is I can go through example after example after example. If you want a more recent example, 2008, at the end of the the George Bush administration, Barack Obama gets elected. Oh, it's hope, it's change, it's it's a new day. And the Democrats have 60 members of the Senate, and they have overwhelming majorities in the House of Representatives. And then two years later, 2010, they lose what 66 seats in the uh, in the they, they lose ultimately lose 66 seats in Congress lose control of the House and they didn't they lost seven seats I think in in 2010 and went on to lose control of the Senate the, the following year my my only point about all this is for everybody out there who says okay well this this is going to be the end of the Democrats or this is going to be the end of the Republican Party no it, it it's it, it's not. The, the ideas and the political persuasion stuff, the Republican Party is going to survive Donald Trump just like the Democratic Party survived Lyndon Johnson and so many others. I mean, it, it just it's it's the way of of the world. Now, that's not to say that there might not be some rocky times from now on and by for the immediate future. And I do concede in both parties there's going to be a an, a reckoning this is a it's always interesting time if you're a political junkie but right now you've got the in the democratic party you've got the distinction between the left and the far left the AOC the squad part of the democrats and the the moderate democrats who who aren't with the, the far left and, and Joe Biden's got to figure out how to chart that course and the Republican Party you you've got the the hardcore Donald Trump people um, whether you want to call it a cult or, or whatever you've got that and then you've got some of the more mainstream Republicans and, and look it, it's all going to balance out in the wash but for everybody who thinks that oh this political party is done or that political party is done you just you're forgetting your history you're just flat out forgetting your history all right Speaking of history, there's going to be a lot of analysis 
for years and years, we're going to be talking about and studying what happened on on Wednesday that led to the, I don't know if you want to call it a takeover of the Capitol, that led to the insurrection, that led to the, the rioting. But to, to me, I, I was... I've gone back since since Wednesday, and I've, I've tried to look at, at the crowds that were there. And, and you had a couple different groups. You had the hardcore, the, the hardcore extreme, the, the QAnon types of, of people. You, you, had the, you had the hardcore, I, I we'll call them the, the Trump cultists, all right, the, 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 the people that believe everything the president said and are firmly, firmly in the camp that the election was, was stolen by um, Dominion voting machines or whatever. So you had, you had, you had that core of people. And admitted, mixed into that core of people, you had the Proud Boys and you had, uh, again, the QAnon folks and you had that hardcore right wing fringe that was there. You also, though, had a lot of of other people, people that I'm going to describe as 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 normal people, President Trump supporters, Republican voters, um, but but teachers, police officers, grandmothers, grandfathers, people who would never would never under normal circumstances consider. I don't know, kicking out windows to, to break into the Capitol, or even if they didn't kick out the windows, following a bunch of people who did kick out the windows in, into the Capitol and, and engaging in that type of stuff. And yet it happened. I have a why question. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What was it that drove what I'm going to talk about is, is I'm going to describe as the normal people. What was it that led them to participate in it? Was, was, is Donald Trump really so, I don't know, such a, a messiah that, that people would listen to his words and be so outraged that he might be tossed out that you consider doing that? Now again, I understand that you've got a fringe element. And, and by the way, of the thousands and thousands of people that were there, not everybody stormed the Capitol. I mean, that was a subset of the people that were there. A lot of people, you know, ended up participating in the march or whatever, but, but they, they stayed in the background. They, they didn't rush in. They didn't engage that, that lawlessness that we've seen. But, but a lot of people did. And if you look at some of the arrests, yes, some of the people that are being arrested are the, the, these high profile folks who have the huge internet profiles and have been all over it. But some of the other people are what I would describe as, as quote unquote normal folks. So what what happened? Was it the mob mentality? Was it a, a genuine conviction that the country is going down the tubes and the election is being stolen? What motivates otherwise normal people to engage in conduct that I I know they, they wouldn't engage in under almost any set of circumstances? 855-616-1620. Why did it happen? We discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I think, I hope all of us, as we're watching the pictures of what happened last Wednesday, are, are watching the saying, 
what what in the world is is going on here? And again, I, I I have the same reaction when I when I watch some of the stuff that's going on in Seattle or, or, or Portland, Oregon, or or some of the other examples of rioting we've seen. But but what ends up happening is I think there's a lot of people who are, are would would otherwise never engage in this sort of behavior. And my guess is that's a pretty good percentage of the people who were out there in Washington. Not, and I'm not talking about the guy with the leather pants and the horn and that's that. And the horns and things like that. I mean, I, I understand that there's a fringe element who are there to promote violence and and just ha- have no sense of right or wrong. But there's a lot of what I would describe as ordinary people who get caught up in this. And my question is, why? Let's talk to Brad in Oshkosh. Brad, you're on WTMJ. Hello, Jeff. Hi, Brad. Thanks for having me on. Sure. Uh, I- just my thought on it is that I think that people, including myself, are just kind of fed up with the government, uh, either side, Republican or Democrat. It doesn't seem like they're doing enough work for the people nowadays, and they're more worried about having power at the White House. Um, I would like to possibly see a third party come in some in the future and uh, make a run. So you, you, th- you think this opinion. was just the expression, people were just... Angry, and this is looking for an outlet, and this this just happened to all kind of come together. I believe that. Yes. Okay. No, thanks. I I'm, I don't have a great answer for this. I mean, I think it was, I think it was a lot of of stuff, and I, I do, I think the president stoked this. And again, whether whether it's a criminal act or whatever, I, I think. You know, we have become very divided as a country. And if you look at the election, you know, you, you see we were very divided. I mean, 70 million people voted for President Trump and 70, what, six or seven million voted for Joe Biden. But it, it's and then we, we have two months of like stoking this. It, it's not a legitimate election. It's fraud. This is being taken from us. We won in a landslide. And that. I think plus you you couple that with the fact that a lot of people do, I think, feel disenfranchised. You couple that, and so you have people that are otherwise angry. But still, even if this was my candidate, and even if I believed, which I don't, that that there was some widespread sort of voter fraud, if I was out at this rally, there's no way – that I'm I'm storming the Capitol and you know attacking people, I- attacking Capitol Police. I'm just flat out do not doing that. And yet you had a large group of people who who did. And again, I believe a good chunk of those people would are, are basically law and order folks. That was the thing I kept waiting for President Trump to come out with on Wednesday and say, "Look, we're we're the law and stand down, get out of there, stop this, don't go into these buildings." You know, we're the we're the people that supposedly stand for law and order and. And, and look at what you're doing. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Brian in De Pere. Brian, you're in WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. How are you? Good. What do you think? Uh, <laughs> listen, listen, I'll, I'll, I'm going to be honest with you and just say that my feeling is we have strayed so far over the last how many years from what is normal that we just cannot process anymore like that's not normal and uh i guess you know when you're talking about why are teachers there why or whatever they were there for one reason and that was because trump told them this election is fraudulent this and that your last caller that says people are fed up i agree with that yes absolutely they're fed up but they were there on that day for trump because he told them to be there 
get wild, all that stuff, all the rhetoric that we have normalized over the last mm-hmm. how many years. And it is very frustrating. So should there be changes in the parties? Sure. I'm all for all that. This was about one thing and one thing only. He said the election was fraudulent. All the judges, everybody says, no, there is zero fraud that has been proven on, you know, whatever. And they, they were there to do something about it. Why weren't you there, Jeff? Because you know you can discern yeah. from the normal and the crazy, as you've said. That's why you weren't there, Jeff. Yeah. Other than the people that were just there as an observer to say, like, I just want to see how our, you know, what's unfolding because this is yeah. an iconic moment in history. That's it. I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking the masses that were there were because Trump told them to, and they cannot accept that this election was one fair and square minus the little fraudulent things here and there that don't wouldn't overturn anything, and that's the long and the short of it. Thanks for the call, Brian. Um, here's a text. Jeff, 99% of the people that were there protesting did not go into the Capitol. Well, I don't know if it was 99%, but it was certainly a good chunk. Anyways, the media won't show you the pictures of all those people that stayed out. Quit blaming everyone that was there for what a few did. Okay, let me break that down. I, first of all, I, I don't... I don't know that I'd say it's a few. I mean, you you had it, it's not like you had three or four. You had hundreds or thousands. Now, percentage wise, as I said at the start of this program, I, I, I do think there was a large number of people who ended up not participating in that, and 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 that's all to the good. But but still, at the same time, it, it wasn't all the fringe players. It wasn't all the QAnon folks that decided we're going to storm the Capitol. And as I frequent, you know, the other thing when I was watching these pictures is I frequently ask, just like I ask when when you see the rioting in Kenosha or the stuff that's going on in Portland or the the destruction in Madison. The, the, my question was watching last Wednesday too is what are you trying to accomplish? What what is the what is the point of this? I mean, what is burning buildings in Kenosha going to do to advance the causes of social justice that you're trying to push for? What is what is setting up shop and taking over a couple blocks in downtown Seattle and trying to hold them for weeks? What does that accomplish to make the world a better place? Just like what do you think you're going to do by storming the Capitol? I mean, it's almost like the, these childish days of rage sort of thing with no thought as to what the bigger picture is going to be. And and maybe it's the herd mentality. Maybe it's the mob mentality. Maybe it's the, you know, people who, I, I, I don't know, take everything that President Trump says as as the gospel gospel and, and, and view him as like this kind of cult leader and they'll follow him everywhere. Hope that that's not exactly the case because we saw where that kind of devotion leads us. All right, when we come back, I want to talk about the Twitter flap. I'll explain. We'll discuss. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Over the weekend, a couple passings that I wanted to comment on. These are people who I found to be very, very interesting in a little in little segments of American life, um, but that you have perhaps not heard of before. Michael Apted grew. Do you know who Michael Apted was? Okay. Um, Film director passed away at the age of seventy nine. He was British. Um, he he did 
Well, Coal Miner's Daughter, for example, he was the director of, of that, the Sissy Spacek movie, which I think is outstanding. He did uh, Gorillas in the Mist, the story of Diane Fossey. He did The World is Not Enough, the, the James Bond movie. But but what he did that I, I think always distinguished him, he was the guy that, that originated the British series called Seven Up. Have you ever heard of Seven Up? Do you know what? You, okay, see, this this is a generational thing, but it's something that's incredibly interesting. What what he did, and this goes back to 1963, he was working for Grenada Television, which was a, an, an offshoot of like the BBC. And they came up with this idea. What they were going to do is they wanted to do a study of the, the British class system. So what they did is, this is 1963, they, um, they took... I think it was like 12 or 13 British school children who were seven years old, and, and they picked them from different different social structures, you know, different walks of life. But these are seven-year-old kids, but, you know, the parents of, you know, some wealthy parents and some working-class parents, et cetera. And, and they, they picked, I think it was 14 kids. Uh, the one thing he said he's always regretted is, and this was perhaps a, a thing of the times, it was like 10 boys and four girls. But, but they, they, they called the show Seven Up and they, they interviewed these 14 seven year olds and they showed them on a playgrounds and stuff talking about what their, their life was going to be like. And it became a huge success and they thought it was going to be a one off. And then seven years later, they came up with the idea. They said, wouldn't it be interesting to go back and let's find, let's find where these kids are seven years later later. And so they went back and they did a thing called 14 up. And what they've done is they've kept this going every seven years, you know, 21 up, 28 up. And it's, it's mesmerizing television to see how these different kids who are now in their 60s have developed and and some of them have had you know the lives particularly some of the wealthier ones their lives have gone like they they predicted you know when they're 14 well I'm going to university I'm going to be a lawyer etc cetera, etc cetera, and that's worked out and some of the other ones haven't one of them has died one um it was dealing with like examples of mental illness one I think still is a, a professor at the University of Madison, Wisconsin Madison, in in some science area. But anyhow, it's it was it's just this fascinating social study, and I've watched the things several times. I haven't the the most recent one, which is sixty three up, came out last year. Yeah, it came out a year and a half ago, and I just I haven't seen that one yet. Um, there. They're available for streaming, but you have to have BritBox. You know, you have to pay for BritBox. I haven't done that. But it, and the the DVD of the most recent one isn't available in the U.S. I don't think so. So you couldn't even order that. Um, but but it's it's fascinating to watch the way these kids developed. And, and to me, that was the Apted's claim of fame. He just said, "Let's see how all these these kids develop." And again, since that's you know kind of approximately my age, it, it's been interesting to see. And you watch these kids develop, and you watch them get married, and you watch them have kids themselves and grandkids, and you watch their successes and all. Fascinating. And if you haven't seen the Seven Up series, I highly recommend it. I mean, it's 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 a little bit slow at times, but you really, you, you wait and you want to see where these kids are. And like I say, the last one was a year and a half ago, 63 up. And with Michael Apted's passing, my guess is they're not going to, um, they're, they're not going to have 
anymore. That's probably the end of the series. But, you know, who who knows? So he, he ended up passing away at the age of 79. And again, people remember him most for Gorillas in the Mist or the, the great coal miner's daughter. But 7-Up, if you ever if you ever a chance to see it, I, I highly, highly recommend it. It's fascinating. One of the other passings over the weekend was a woman. Her name was Pat Loud, L-O-U-D. Now, Gru, I know you do not know who Pat Loud is. All right. Before there was reality TV, before there was Survivor, before there was, what was the thing on MTV, the real world, before there was that, before there was the Osbournes, in 1974, there was a show on PBS called An American Family. And and what they did, they filmed it in 72, what what they did is they found that this family in Santa Barbara, California, the Louds, L-O-U-D, and it was the husband and wife, and it was Bill was the husband, Pat was the the wife. They had five kids, including one kid who was gay. Now this is this is 1972, where you know you didn't talk about like gay kids. And what they did is they allowed these producers to come in, and they shot hundreds of hours of film of the the family in Santa Barbara and it, it, they turned it into a 12 episodes called it was called an American family and it the it, it was wild because their the marriage of the, the husband and wife broke he was apparently he, he was cheating on her and she was complaining on him in the middle of the the filming you know they they decide to separate the like i say one of the the children was gay and that this was back in the early 70s where you just you just didn't talk about that type of stuff and they they came out on television it was a sensation that really set the groundwork for all the, these other sort of reality shows, except this was real reality. This wasn't, okay, let's take seven people and you know, put them in a really posh place in Seattle or in Los Angeles or New York and call it the real world. This, this was a family. And if the episodes are still available, you can go back and you watch them and you really see the tension and how these things, how, how the breakups occur. There was a lot of criticism that the family got for doing this because it was like airing your dirty laundry and all. And, and no, nobody was was perfect but pat loud was the mom she passed away i think over the weekend at the age of 94 the dad and they they subsequently divorced and then late in life i think got back together he passed away a couple years ago as well but 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 this this was reality tv and this was the start of this and it was really a cultural phenomena back in the early 70s nobody had ever seen anything like this on on television and so i i bring this up just because i think there's lots of parallels to this and if you're if you have an opportunity to find it i don't know where there i'm sure there's places that you can stream it but it's called an american family on on pbs and in pat loud who is the the matriarch she just passed away but it was just it, it was an amazing part of tv history um, and this this really was reality TV. Okay, when we come back, let's talk about Twitter and the president. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. One of the things that led to the rise of President Trump was his ability to use social media platforms. I mean, one of the great things, let me go back. Do- Donald, before Donald Trump, there was Ronald Reagan. And... Donald Trump was no Ronald Reagan, but one of the beauties of, of Ronald Reagan is he was able to 
he was able to speak to the American people. He would routinely go around TV. I mean, TV would try to direct him in a certain way, and, and he wouldn't. He would had a unique ability to communicate with the American people, and I think it, it led to his success. Now, President Trump has a unique ability to communicate with the American people. In his fashion, though, he doesn't go through the mainstream media. He feels he doesn't get a fair shake, and I think there's some elements of that that, that are out there, but he doesn't need to because the, the social media platforms, for example, Twitter and his 88 million followers, he, he doesn't he doesn't need to deal with ABC or NBC or, or CBS or whatever. He can, you know, he he can sit there with his phone and he can send out, you know, whatever messages he wants. Now, people like me have argued for the last several years that that is a blessing and a curse because I think a lot of damage that he did was done to his administration by his inability to stay on message. The the idea that you never I, I could imagine what it would be like to be the chief of staff and you sit there and you say, OK, th- this is what our message is going to be for the next three days, tax cuts, whatever. And then you come in, you find out that the president's gotten up at three o'clock in the morning with a up a particular part of his anatomy and is sending out these tweets that throw you totally and completely off message. But that is part of, I, I think, what the, the the success of Donald Trump was all about, is his ability to communicate directly through these social media platforms. After the events of last week, President Trump has been taken off permanently Facebook and Twitter. So he no longer has access to these things. Facebook and Twitter say that he's violated their various rules about promoting violence. So they've decided they're not going to give him access to this. Now, uh, let's let's understand something. Some people say this is a violation of the First Amendment. That's not true. The First Amendment relates to government action. The First Amendment says Government shall take no action to abridge rights, etc., etc. Okay, Twitter is not government. Facebook is not government. They can do what they want. Now, they can get sued for it if they feel if they're, they're, what they're doing is illegal. But it's not a First Amendment issue, just like you can say no shoes, no shirt, no service. Well, it's denying me my First Amendment right to do it. Well, no, it, it's a private restaurant. They get to make those calls. So it's not a First Amendment issue. So let's put that aside. On the other hand, that doesn't make it the right thing to do. Because what you have is these social media platforms that are essentially setting themselves up as as censors and saying, okay, well, we think this conduct is unacceptable. We don't like this particular tweet. And at the same time, then saying to others, uh, for example, like, um, very few people taken off during some of the social media protests, uh, some, some social justice protests, including some of these tweets that you could argue were, were definitely advocating violence as well. So it's not a matter of whether or not Facebook and Twitter have the right to restrict usage. They do. The question is, do they have the right? Is it the right thing to do? 855 616 1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. My take on this, I think Twitter, Facebook, and the like are making a huge mistake when they decide to ban somebody like Donald Trump from Twitter or from Facebook. If they are, in fact, going to set themselves up to regulate the content Well, then what I think they're going to find themselves is 
losing any immunity that they might have under the law, because right now they're immune. If somebody plans something on Facebook, they can't be liable for that. If, however, they're going to set themselves up as censors, well, then I, I think they have an obligation to start censoring everything that's out there. And if they don't, I think they need to be held accountable. But I think this desire to, we're going to have this backlash. To me, it's it's the revenge of the liberal media. And that is not to say that I countenance, endorse, liked a lot of the tweets, for example, that Donald Trump sent out. I, I think he hurt himself with a lot of people by the way he used Twitter. But the idea that he or someone else shouldn't be able to use Twitter, I think, is kind of a scary sort of thing. And the question becomes, where are we going to draw the line? Is this going to be the way that the left-leaning tech companies decide that they are going to censor conservative thought? And where does it stop? And I think you can make that argument without, again, endorsing 50% of the tweets that Donald Trump sent out. 855-616-1620. Should he be banned from Twitter? We discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. See, where I think Twitter is wrong, Facebook is wrong, and and trying to pick and choose is the way you fight free speech is with free speech. You know, if... If President Trump sends out a, a tweet that is false, okay, you, you don't need Big Brother saying, in our opinion, we've determined this is is false. What you need is you need, you know, a response from other people arguing this is false. This is why, um, as opposed to the censorship. Here's a, and, and here's where the issues become tricky. Here's a text. Jeff, I spent the whole summer looking at BLM, Facebook, and Twitter posts calling for violence against the police to kick Trump off when he never actually called for violence is absurd. And again, I don't want to go into the routes of, of what President Trump did or didn't do, but but yeah, there's all sorts of posts that you can find that you would say, well, well, this should violate policies as well. And do we really want Twitter or Facebook setting it up to be the free speech police? I mean, you want Mark Zuckerberg being the plea free speech police. Um, Jeff, how does this differ from you screening calls? Well, it's different in a number of ways. First of all, again, we're we're not government. We we don't take every call that, that comes in. We end up picking and choosing as to how to do that. But we operate in a different sort of function than, for example, Twitter, which is designed to allow anybody to express whatever opinions that they want, as opposed to my show, where I target, for example, what the um, conversation is going to be. Um, here's a text. Jeff, what happens if Trump starts posting pornography. If pornography is banned, why should fighting words be allowed? Okay, well, who's going to determine what those fighting words are? And are you really going to set yourself up to be that police? And and does that mean that all fighting words are going to get knocked off regardless of where they're going to come from? Um, 855-616-1620. Jeff, um, let's see. Social media platforms have restricted people who they suspected of terrorist activities. The assault on the Capitol by Trump cultists was a terrorist event. All right. But but again, the president wasn't a part of that. You can say that people took the president's remarks and they interpreted them in this fashion. Do you really want Twitter striking this off? And and again, this is the question that's out there. Are we going to now see large groups of people taken off Twitter? And does Twitter really want the responsibility for deciding what's 
what sets it up and what doesn't. Again, I think the way, particularly in the political context, when it comes to political speech. Now, it's one thing saying, let's go out and kill all these different people. But but that's not what Trump said. It's another thing when you and if Trump wants to press the idea that the election was stolen, which I think is crazy. What you end up doing is you fight that with with speech. You respond to that. Do we really want people restricting political political speech and where do you end up drawing the line you know on that um and again it's one thing if people are talking about hey let's let's have a second holocaust or something like that i i understand that when it comes to overt violence but when it comes to political speech you know do we want this censoring him um let's see here's deb from west ben says kathy griffith still tweets out trump severed heads um, severed head. Okay, well, how can she do that under the guise of political speech if the president doesn't have access? And look, I'm not a fan of Trump and his tweets. I'm just saying, where does where do we draw the line? And who is going to make that decision? And I guess my big point is, if Twitter's going to decide that we're now going to start restricting political speech, fine, all, all well and good. My guess is what's going to happen is there's going to be another platform that will be created that will will give a more broad-based thing and will give people more access to it. But if we're going to start restricting political speech, if you're going to be the censor, then I do think it's fair to start saying, okay, well, we're going to hold you liable. If you're going to get involved and start policing the platform, we're going to hold you liable if you don't do a good job of policing the platform. And that's why... I think some people might be looking at repealing some of the protections that Twitter and Facebook have with regard to liability. When that happens, it's going to restrict speech. And as a general rule, I believe, especially in the political area, the more political speech you have, the better. And if there's lies out there, if there's misstatements, you fight those lies and misstatements with other political speech conveying the truth. When we come back, we'll find out what John and Melissa have on their minds. Stick around. 